This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. Hey, folks, welcome back. You're in the workplace. I'm Peter Cavelli. I'm Dan O'Mara. And, uh, Let's see who we are so I can plug my firm. Yes, I am a professor here at the Wharton School. And I'm adjunct faculty here at the Wharton School. I'm a practicing lawyer at Ogletree Deacons in Philadelphia. And uh, Dan, we were just talking about bullying, and Dan would like to share his own sensitive bullying story. Yes, that's how sensitive yeah. I am. Okay. On more than one occasion, Peter, you wouldn't know this because I've never yes. told you this before. I will Ooh. tell you on the air. Okay. On more than one occasion, on Thursday nights after we did a show, I'll get a call from a family member or friend who says... Wow, the show tonight, You Peter was really ripping into you. He's picking on you. Ooh. I'm like, really? And they're like, yeah, but you were, you were feeding it right back to him. Ooh. And I say, well, what, what were we talking about? I don't remember this at all. And then they'll, they'll point out the topic. I'm like, oh, okay, I remember that. And it sounds like a very contentious discussion, but I think we were both holding back laughter at the time, or at least whatever mm. you said to me, I didn't really care because I, I, you're free to be wrong, and I... I'm, <laughs> I have to correct you when you are. I really don't care. But, but people think, listening in who know me are like, I can't believe you two are going at it like really? that. Yeah. So Dan must have a very sensitive family. Uh, yeah. They're just very kind and very sensitive, <laughs> all very polite to each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, there you go. Um, I don't think uh, that was going on, but uh, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Got another uh, story is, here. This is a problem of not being able to see facial expressions, right, on the show. That's true. And they can't see that we're, for example, all dressed up every yeah. night for this for yeah. the show. The and, and also and they stuff. don't understand, as they say, conflict radio is good radio. If we actually sat here and agreed on everything all <laughs> night. It wouldn't be as good of a show as if we can find ways to disagree with each other. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> Is that your way of saying to pretend to agree with you? No, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> okay. Another you got story. another story? Uh, people are probably familiar with uh, ransomware and cyber attacks. Yes. The, uh, mm-hmm. Hackers often from East, former Eastern Bloc countries yep. get inside a computer and say, you must pay us $20,000 or we will shut you down. Yes. And right. most private businesses Pay the money. It's, Do, it's, really? Is that yeah, common? Yeah, okay. it actually is common. Wow. But nobody wants to advertise that they pay ransom. Yes. Right. But it does happen. I know some mm-hmm. companies who said, as a matter of principle, no. And then they're operating on pieces of paper for weeks thereafter. Mm-hmm. Um, now, with that said, the uh, you don't hear about uh, these types of attacks on public entities mm. like the court system, but one has occurred. Mm. And I should tell non-lawyers uh, listening – um, there's been changes in the legal profession in the last 10 to 15 years, a huge move to what we call e-filing. used to be okay. when you finished your brief, a messenger would, would uh, messenger to the court, clock it in, get it stamped, and it goes to mm-hmm. the judge. Now everything is electronic, which really makes the lawyer's life, I think, much easier. You learn how to do it yourself. gives you extra hours, and, and it's frankly more efficient. Yep. Until there's a cyber attack. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. Philadelphia Court of Common mm-hmm. Pleas was subject to what it's calling a cyber attack. And I don't know if it was a ransomware situation, but if it were, these Eastern Bloc and their do wells should understand that in the US, public entities are the last ones <laughs> to who, pay. To pay because they're like, <laughs> I'm sorry, like it's probably against the law if I pay you even 10 cents. That's a good You know, point. I've got uh, ways I can spend money, ways I can't. 
to to yeah. uh, a ransomware yeah. is just not authorized. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, yeah. the Philadelphia Court of Common Pleas, basically the uh, whole e-filing system, all its electronics are shut down. Yeah. And mm. um, uh, associate told me this the other day. I'm like, no way, because I would have got some email. And it was pointed <laughs> out to me, right. no, they can't send emails because they're, they're shut down. And, and so right now we're, we're flashing back to like 1996 where you got to have everything something? run up there. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, yeah. and 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 I, I got a memo in front of me from uh, uh, various of the uh, trade associations, trial lawyers, yeah. defense lawyers, et cetera, and, and uh, Philadelphia Bar Association. And, and there's all these questions like, how do I know if I get an order in a case? Because we're just using yes, you get, right. you get it on the computer, boom, forward it to the client, right, talk right, about right. it. Um, they say, yeah. well, we'll send them out by a mail. Yeah. That's a really <laughs> we're good We're scratching our heads saying, well, this is really, you know, really retro, you know. Yeah. But um, the one place where they had been effective and really dangerous is in healthcare. Right. Because they're shutting down hospital systems. Then you got a real problem. Yeah. So speaking of technology, uh, at least closely related to technology, we're going to talk about behavioral science here. And with us to talk about this is Jeff Chrysler, who's the editor in chief of the website uh, People Science and the co-author of the book Dollars and Cents. Going to talk to us a little bit about behavioral science in the hiring process, something we've talked about a fair bit before. Jeff, welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, I should let you know I just got... A message from my family complaining about how rude you've all been to me. So, yeah, before yeah. we even started. We'll, we'll fight excellent. back, you know. Before we even started. That's excellent. Um, so, Jeff, when we think about hiring uh, and then we think about tech technology, most everybody knows that the way hiring works now is a little bit unlike the way it worked a generation ago. Uh, a lot of stuff is electronic. There's applicant tracking software that kind of screens resumes. Uh, but what you're thinking about and what you've been studying, I guess, is uh, ways in which we might be able to use data science, behavioral techniques in, in particular, not just to be more efficient, but to make better hires and particularly less biased hires a little bit, right? So can you tell us a little bit first about what the problem is now before you enter the scene to solve things? Sure. Well, you know, their hiring process has you know, several steps from listing the job to sorting through resumes and the interview and then, you know, ultimately the decisions. And each step along that way, you know, whoever is producing that, whether it's a computerized program like you mentioned or a human, they're subject to biases that will sort of restrict the options that you're seeing or make one choose differently depending on just sort of keywords, right? I mean, ultimately the computer program looks for keywords. and So can I stop you there just to make mm-hmm. sure we're on the same page? So there's bias in terms of how the people judge uh, a resume, let's see, or what they're thinking about with a particular candidate. But uh, tell us what, what you mean by the bias built into applicant tracking systems and, and the even the technology itself has built-in biases. Tell us a little more about that. Sure. Well, there are, there are certain biases that um, and bias, I guess, <clears throat> what you're sort of getting at is that it's uh, it's a loaded word that it both means our bias is personal, and then also it's used often in the behavioral science world to suggest um, principles or nudges that sort of lead us astray, and we often call them biases, like okay. the default bias. Mm-hmm. Um, so forgive me for uh, any confusion in that area. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, there are things like um, the association bias, right? This uh, it's a principle of science where basically when we in this case, like review a resume and we see someone that is from our hometown um, or certainly from our college or we connect some way with them on something that has nothing to do with their skills, it's Mm -hmm. just some item, 
we automatically sort of feel closer to them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, they're the, similar. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Someone there's a connection that's been made. Okay. Um, and that's something, you know, if the goal is to get the best fit for the job, right. um, someone who is going to have the skills and the talent and the interest to work there, not just work there, but grow in your company and be there for a long time, then the irrelevant things should remain irrelevant. Yeah. But mm-hmm. often, because the process of hiring is, is, you know, it's essentially a giant funnel, mm-hmm. right? and you want to sort it out, we fall for um, these little tricks, these little traps, these little shortcuts in order to sort through. Um, someone had a great uh, analogy, and then forgive me for forgetting her name, but talked about it was like uh, in the old days when you go to Blockbuster Video. Right? You go to Blockbuster Video, and you just sort of look at the cover of something or maybe the back description of a movie. Mm-hmm. And you fall for the big names or the mm-hmm. big pictures. It's mm-hmm. like when someone you know, looks at a resume and says, oh, Wharton Business School, or mm-hmm. in my case, Princeton, or sort of these shiny things to indicate quality. And what you may lose is the stuff that's underneath that, the stuff mm-hmm. that, to continue the analogy, like a Netflix now has an algorithm mm-hmm. that talks about what you really like in a movie, and mm-hmm. it's not just the stars, yeah. it's whatever, dark, etc. It's like picking wines based on the label, which uh, I must confess I frequently do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. And you know, I mean, you're, you're right to point out at the top that the hiring process is not the same as it was a generation okay. ago. The, the, yeah. The programs and everything they can help. I mean, there's that argument that is the bias built into the program, et cetera. Yeah, but yeah. at least it's a step in the right direction. Right. Um, but by the way, a great quote I heard was that anyone who says you can't judge a book by its cover has never met a buyer from Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. That's that, that's it's probably very, true. So, just give give us a sense of, uh, particularly for people who are not close to this, of what maybe the biggest biases are. What are people worried about now? Uh, in terms of hiring? Sure. Uh, well, you know, I mentioned this association bias, which yes. is tricky. Right. Um, there's certainly uh, gender bias, gender mm-hmm. bias that, that comes in a few ways. One is in a job listing, be careful of, of pronouns. Um, you know, be careful of the, the terms that you use, uh, you know, just that if it seems like it's a really competitive job, um, you know, things like uh, challenges and leading versus collaborative, mm-hmm. it may mm-hmm. sort into different people. Now, okay. if, mm-hmm. if those features are, are key to the job, like if you're in a position of a high-pressure say, auto sales position, well, then, you know, have those terms there. Okay. But if they're not yep. really relevant, what happens is people often see a listing and they might not apply. Right, um, right. Along right. those lines, sort of to, for the, for the listing position, make clear what is actually required versus sort of what is um, more fungible, if you will, or fudgeable, if you will, because mm-hmm. many applicants, and there is a gender difference here, if there's one item on your list of requirements that they don't meet, they won't apply. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. Whereas others right. will still yeah. apply. Right. And, and that's the gender difference is that women are more inclined to not apply, right? Um, right. If they miss even one of the attributes, right? Correct. Right. Um, which you're going to lose. I mean, obviously, you're going to lose a lot of qualified candidates. Yeah. Um, yeah. People, you know, you can teach certain skills if they're strong uh, in in other skills, um, and that's you know that's important again because okay. particularly with you know employment being so um, full right now or close to full right now, people have choices and they want to go to a place that really satisfies them. Um, and you want to find uh, an employee that's going to be with you for a long time. Right. We're talking with Jeff Chrysler. Uh, from People Science, also co-author of the book Dollars and Cents, about uh, behavioral science and how we might debias some of the hiring processes. So let's talk about what you can do. So, in terms of things that you've seen or you advocate, give us a sense of what 
would help in terms of sure. behavioral science. So, you know, as as we all know, it's easy to say what not to do, like lose weight and get more exercise. The question is, in practice, how do we actually make that happen, right? Sure. Well, there's, um, you know, depending on a lot of this is context-based, right? Certain industries, you can't do some of these things. But if there's an opportunity to um, blind the resumes, in other words, okay, yep. remove a name, right? Mm-hmm. Because whether it's uh, ethnic or gender, otherwise a name conveys a lot about a person that ultimately is irrelevant mm-hmm. to the job. Right. Um, you know, I know I have a background in comedy, and I have a lot of friends who have uh, written for comedy shows. And like The Daily Show, for instance, removed everyone's name on the initial level of the application. Oh, interesting. Um, mm-hmm. so it just mm-hmm. was, are you funny? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, eventually you had to meet John face-to-face, but the point is at least that initial um, sorting process mm-hmm. uh, was done like that. And I think we... Uh, we... By the way, he, Stuart was criticized because his writing staff was very disproportionately all white males. It was, and and in yeah. response, it got a little, uh, it got more okay. um, proportionate, but... Um, and it was actually, wasn't it also that, that, didn't he tell a joke like that, you know, that his Emmy proved that a show that was written 99% by Ivy League Jewish guys could actually win an Emmy? Oh. <laughs> you know, it was that kind of thing, so... <laughs> That's inspirational. It was, it was even more, <laughs> it was even narrower than just white, white guys, right? Yeah. And actually, we interviewed a company, do you remember that company that would do this service for you, that they would give you applicants and blind the parts of the resume that were... Um, oh possibly offensive and not relevant, right? So interesting. Okay, so that's a smart one. Uh, What else, Jeff? Uh, Focusing on the skills rather than the credentials. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Particularly in the, um, well, first in the sorting process, but then in the interview process and the further steps because, you know, if you talk to someone and they're a great interview, that doesn't really matter if their job is to be an engineer, Mm -hmm. right? Or Mm -hmm. if their job is to develop a marketing plan. I mean, if their job is to be a great interviewer, a schmoozer, a self-promoter, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, But recognize in your own self, if you're on the hiring side, um, that your connection with a person over a half an hour or an hour, you can't project that to yeah. 10 years of work. So let me uh, uh, ask, Bo- ask you a question, Jeff, mm-hmm. get your sense of this, and maybe uh, Dan, too, if you have a different sense. So I was uh, in Boston yesterday talking about this topic, about hiring, and somebody raised an interesting question, and the question was, they were a recruiter. Suppose you've got a candidate who you think is really good for the job, but they don't schmooze well. Right. And you're going to send them to uh, meet with the hiring executive. And you know that because they don't schmooze well, even though that's kind of irrelevant, uh, the executive is probably not going to like them and they're not going to get hired. Should you prep them in advance to give them an edge in the conversation with Mm -hmm. the boss? Should you say, for example, are you going to go talk to Dan? He likes these topics here. What do you think? Um, Dan, what do you think? No, absolutely no. not. Okay. Now, uh, I, that's different from the question I thought you were going to ask. I okay. thought you were going to say, do you give the interviewing person a heads up yeah, that's on what right. to expect? Okay. I could do that. Hey, uh, mm-hmm. we're sending in someone. I think they got a great promise, um, okay. a lot of schmoozer, uh, but I'll let you decide. Okay. Uh, and, and sort of, frankly, break down expectations mm-hmm. of, of social skills mm-hmm. there. Okay. I would not be giving tips to one candidate that you don't give to another. Okay. Not, not just that, in my mind. You're then asking that candidate to sort of pretend to be someone that they're not, and then if they're hired on the basis of being that pretend person, eventually that's going to fall apart. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I do think organizationally you have a, a small picture obligation to sort of give that hiring partner heads up, and also 
a big picture obligation to have a discussion internally about what matters in the hiring process. Okay. You know, that may mm-hmm. not be an email you shoot off to your to your boss and say, "Hey, you're doing this wrong," but just organizationally it's something to consider because, you know, again, that old way you mentioned at the top of of um, coming in with your Ivy degree or or whatever mm-hmm. being able to schmooze mm-hmm. um yeah. It's sort of going out the window, if you will. So, Jeff, let me ask you about this topic of culture fit, which mm-hmm. uh, is popular these days. Um, does this uh, strike you as, uh, or how do you think about this sure. uh, in the context, particularly of thinking about bias? Because that seems to me like a big window through which bias can jump in, right? It, what do you think can, about that? It uh, can, and I guess it depends on how you define culture and if you're culture is uh, I love straight white males, or if it's mm-hmm. uh, I am a culture of experimentation mm-hmm. or growth. Okay. Uh, there are numerous studies looking at employee engagement and satisfaction, incentives and motivation that show that things like purpose and meaning in work really have a tremendous impact in mm-hmm. employee retainment, um, in productivity, in the bottom line. Uh, and so in my mind, that's part of culture is, is their recognition, is their appreciation, um, is there a sense of what you're doing has meaning? Because, as again, another growing body of research shows, money is, only has limiting motivating power. Mm-hmm. Um, so people aren't necessarily going to work just for the money. So okay. there's got to be more there. Those sound like attributes of the job, right? Right. That this is a job that um, maybe is meaningful. And because we're a hospital here, we're helping people's lives, that right. sort of stuff. Um, when you're thinking about culture as things which are more intangible values of the organization, what do you think we should be doing with that one in terms of bias? Should we pay much attention to that? It sounds like it's something everybody's talking about, but uh, uh, it also sounds like something that each hiring manager could spin their own way, right? Right. I think that you should champion your values um, as much as possible without sort of overselling it, right? If you come across disingenuous, like, you know, you're going to have to work 100 hours a week for minimum wage, but you, you know, everybody here gets a free pen. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it's not going to work. We and do that, by the way, in Sirius XM. We, get, we all get free pens. <laughs> wow, I should Good. come into the studio yeah. next time. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but it's a challenge, particularly when you're dealing with fresh graduates or, or people young in their career who may not know what it is that they value in their career. But, uh, you know, putting it out front, um, is important because to some people it may not matter. You you may come across someone who all that does matter to them is money, and mm-hmm. the fact that you're curing cancer isn't a big deal. Yep, um, right. Or you may have someone to whom that really connects and can see themselves growing there. Mm-hmm. Jeff, we got uh, just a minute or two left here. Mm-hmm. If there's a tip that you could leave with employers, what would be top of your list in terms of things to do that might uh, reduce some of the bias? Sure. Uh, Really think about the skills that the person will need in the job, what the job is, not what the hiring process is. Okay. Um, if there are questions or tests or activities mm. that you want to do, find a way to you know, do the work to really reflect what will show can this person do the job mm-hmm. as opposed to do I like this person. Mm-hmm. Right? Obviously, you can't have a psychopath in your office, yeah. um, but whether they can work on the job is the most important question. Yeah, that sounds really right to me. You know, one of the things we know as well is that the people we end up being friends with are people that we are kind of forced to have associations with, mm-hmm. like the person you sat next to in your first grade class. Right, You end up being friends with those people. Uh, And our ability to predict who we're actually going to like later on is maybe not so completely great, you know. Uh, And so, you know, spending a lot of time worrying about who I'm going to like as opposed to who could do the job 
uh, yeah. is probably not the the best idea. Here, right. Here's some interesting evidence on that. So only 40% of U.S. employers um, use tests to, to uh, or, or use skill tests, that is, try to determine mm-hmm. people's skills. But 70% or 75% of U.S. employers do drug tests, right? And I find yeah. that kind of amazing, right? It is, kind and I don't feel that. like I should say whether or not I could do certain skills on drugs because yeah uh, yeah there you go <laughs> yeah yeah do they do them at the same yeah, do, time yeah combine them combine them yeah that would be fun well i can see we're off to a fun uh a fun set of recommendations here uh, yeah. in the future jeff thanks very much for being with us thanks so much jeff chrysler is the editor-in-chief of people science co-author of the book dollars and cents and you can find his stuff at peoplescience.com um uh, Dan, let me just ask you that last sure. question here. Uh, just get your quick reaction. Remaining couple of seconds here. Does that puzzle you that or surprise you that only maybe forty percent of U.S. employers test for skills? We're so much more interested in testing for drugs. Is it just because drug testing is easier and more objective? Yeah, think? I think it is. Yeah. Okay. And and the skills test, boy, um, uh, they could have an adverse impact on some group and then be mm. deemed discriminatory. Oh, do you have to validate them pursuant mm. to? EEOC standards. And for drug tests, you don't have to do that. Correct. Right. There you go. Well, there's yet another reason to keep drug tests in your quiver, as they say. We're going to take a break now. We're going to come back and talk about a less pleasant topic, but certainly something in the news. But a great guest. Uh, It will be the training manager at the apprenticeship school at Newport News Shipbuilding, Stan Best. There you go. See you in a minute. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 